You are listening to The Ingenious Podcast, where God's Word is shared to build undisputed champions and mighty redeemers. This message is brought to you by The Ingenious Network. Enjoy the message. Jesus, the Son of God, the only blessed potentate, the true Lord of all, and King of kings. Amen. Okay, so, this evening I'm sharing with you about the expectation for the redeemed, and I'll be talking to you in the next two days concerning discovery, conformity, and exploits. In looking at the theme, the expectation for the redeemed, I'll be looking at it from these three angles. Discovery, conformity, and exploits. Our anchor test will be taken from two scriptures. Revelation chapter 5. I'll start reading from verse 9 and 10. Then after that, I will read Colossians chapter 1, verses 8 to 12. I start with Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 says that, And they sang a new song, singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. When you read other versions, it says that, And you have made us kingdom and priest to our God. Now, when we come to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to start reading from verse number 8. And it says, Who also declared to us your love in the Spirit? For this reason we also, since the day we heard, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, 
that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Hallelujah. Whenever we think about the subject of redemption, or whenever we think about the subject of who the redeemed are, we always come to the conclusion that the redeemed are those that are saved by their blood. Those who have been ransomed and purchased by the blood of Jesus. However, we have come to find that whenever we talk about we being the redeemed, one of the challenges that we face in our time is that many of the redeemed don't know what is expected of them. So God became man to pay a price so that you and I could enjoy a certain fellowship. But the questions that we we are dealing with is after we are saved, what has been our Christian experience? We are living in a day and an age where sin and everything that talks about depravity is on the increase, especially among the youth. So David said in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way, his heart pure? Beloved, God's expectation for us, I believe, is captured under these three big concepts that we are going to discuss in the next two days. The first expectation of God for the redeemed is the expectation for discovery. The expectation for discovery. The second expectation for God for the redeemed is the expectation for conformity. Conformity. The Bible says that, that we will conform to the image of his son. And the third expectation that God has for the redeemed is the expectation for exploits. And my prayer is that in the next two days, you and I will travel and come to a place that we will know that there is work for us to do and there is so much for us to accomplish in our day and age. Now, in, in talking about the issue of discovery, we realize from um, Revelation chapter 5 that the Bible says that he has called us to be a kingdom and priests. He has called us to be a kingdom and priest. Now that is God's expectation for the redeemed in the earth. In fact, when we read the chapter 8 of the book of Revelation, the verse 8 of the book of Revelation chapter 5, you realize that this is what was said. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the twenty-four fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp 
and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of this. And they sang a new song. That the lamb was worthy because he was slain. So he was slain so that you and I will become a kingdom and a priest. Now, the word kingdom, when we look at the word kingdom, the word kingdom literally describes what we call the ability to reign or to rule. It is the word basilio. And basilio is where we get the word basilica from. So the kingdom talks about reigning. When we say he has made us a kingdom, he's not talking about the territory. But the actual there describes that a call to reign. And that is why when we read further and he says that, and they shall reign in the earth. So he has called us to be a people that are reigning. And so, and we also see that any time that the word Basilio was used in the New Testament, it talked literally about somebody who was reigning. And so in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 22, we are told about that Jesus was born in the days when Achilles was reigning. Then in Luke chapter 1, verse 33, we are told that Jesus was going to reign over the house of David. It is that same word, kingdom, in Revelation. Basilio, that is being used in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 14, we are told that and death reigned from Adam, death reigned from Adam till the second Adam. So you realize that whenever, when we are talking about he has called us to be a kingdom, he is not talking about he has called us to gather in a certain location. Because you see, the word kingdom, when we look at the word kingdom, it literally describes a territory. And so we are likely to think that when he says that he has called us to be a kingdom, he is talking about he has called us to be gathered in a certain place as one people in one location. But what he is saying is that he has actually paid the price so that you will become a people that are reigning. When we read further in the verse 10, he said that, and have made us kings. The word king there is literally describing a king. Somebody who is ruling. And it is from that same word, you see, we are talking about basilios. And so, this derivative of Basilius is actually referring to the one who is sitting on the throne. And he has made us kings. He has made us, another translation, it is explained, he has made us empress. An emperor is somebody who has ruling authority over a kingdom or a people. So he has made us kings in the sense that he has made us, he is calling us to be a people that have power to reign over territories. 
So one, he is saying that I have called you to be a kingdom. And this kingdom is not just the territorial kingdom, but he's saying that I am calling you to be a people that are reigning. Then he goes on further to explain that I have called you to actually become kings. And you see, wherever this word Basilius has also been used, it actually refers to a king. Somebody who is in actual power, not an imagined power. So when we read Matthew chapter 1 verse 6, it talks about in the genealogy of Jesus, it says that, And Jesse begat David the king, Basilius. Then when we come to Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 and 3, it talks about Herod the king. Then when we come to Matthew chapter 2 verse 2, it talks about Jesus being born. It it says that we have come to look for he who has been born, the king of the Jews. So you realize that God's expectation for us is not just, right now I am dealing with the issue of discovery. We are called to discover what he has made us. And what he has actually made us is a people who have the power to rule. And so he is saying here to us that, in verse 10, that he says that, and, and when he says, and he has made us priests. As for the priest, we will talk about it the other, another time because in Conquests, we looked at the, 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 the aspect of priesthood. Because this aspect of priesthood, actually the word here is hieros. He has made us a kingdom, basilios, and priest, hieros. Now hieros means something that is sacred. And in the use of the Bible, in the New Testament, whenever hieros has been used, it refers to a temple. So he has made he has saved us to become a people that are kings, that are reigning, but we are also a temple. And that temple is a sacred ground. Something that is holy because it belongs exclusively to God. And this is what he has called us to discover. This heritage. But you see, this heritage is not, no, we, we, we are Christians and we love to confess, I am the head, I'm not the tail, I am this, I am that. But when we look actually in our life, what is the result? What is the result? So as Christians, we are called into discovery. Now what is the key to discovery? The key to discovery lies in knowledge. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 42, As the deer panted for the waters, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart, desire and So, the issue of discovery is 
the story of the deer panting after the water. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the psalmist says. For the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My soul pants. You see, we have become Christians who are introduced into Christianity, I believe, the wrong way. When people become Christians, some people are introduced to Christianity and the first thing that they are taught is how to sow a seed. When when we are called to become Christians, the, the first thing that we are told is how to pray. Prayer is good. But prayer is not the starting point for the Christian. Prayer is actually supposed to be a second step or a complementary step to what I am about to talk to you about, which is the pursuit of the knowledge of God. You see, in the book of Revelation, the apostle John has seen a great vision and, and a mystery is being unfolded. And that mystery is that a, a lamp has paid a price. And because the lamp has paid the price, it has qualified him to receive a people who will become a kingdom and who will become his priest. But do you actually know this lamp? Do you know this lamp who has paid the price? For you to be translated, as the book of Colossians will put it, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you know? So you see, when we come to Christ, the first thing we are supposed to do is to discover God. And when I say discover God, what I actually mean is to discover the Godhead. You see, there are a lot of Christians, if if I should come down right now, and as you ask you who God is, we are going to get all kinds of interesting answers. But you see, our first point, the expectation for the redeemed is to know the one who has redeemed them. And that person is called the Godhead. The Godhead is referred to in our days as the God who is Trinity. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit was leading me on this journey, we are going to go on this journey together. And I'm going to read something that is very interesting to me, starting from the book of Romans. I am just going to read the introductions to the epistles for us to notice something. Romans chapter 1. Paul a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul, a a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now from Romans, we move to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God 
and sustains our brother. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now let's move from Corinthians and let's move on to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who has raised him from the dead. Now from Galatians, let us move to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And when I read the verse 2, it says that grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I am just reading all this to make a point. Philippians chapter 1. It says that Paul and Timothy, born servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the story continues like that in the book of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now somebody will say, okay, all these are the writings of Paul. So let us move away from the writings of Paul and let us look at the book of First Peter. The writing of Peter. Let me start with James. James says that James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says that, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now from Peter, we go to the Apostle John. He says that, in the, the Apostle John puts it this way in verse 3. First John chapter 1 verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and his son Jesus Christ. So you realize that all these apostles, the one thing that they had that was clear in their mind was the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his son Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit. What a lot of, when we ask Christians who is the Holy Spirit, we say he is God, but can you defend it? When we ask you, who is Jesus Christ? You say he is God, but can you defend it? And when we say, who is God? You say he is the Father. So how can the Father be the Son and be the Spirit? So you see, the first call in our Christian journey, God's expectation for the redeemed is to know the knowledge of God the Father, and to know the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, 
through the workings of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Father? The Father is the source of life. He is the one from whom all things proceed. First Timothy 1 verse First Timothy 6 says that he is the one that dwells, he dwells in light inaccessible. He is the one that no man has ever seen and no man will ever see. That is the Father. The source. The source. The Father is the source. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is his son. But what does it mean for Jesus to be his son? You see, when we talk about the Trinity, some people try to explain it in some weird ways. And at the end of the day, they realize that they don't even understand what they are saying. But today I want to give you a very simple explanation of the Trinity. When we say the Trinity, what do we mean? We are all seated here. In science, what we are called is homo sapiens. It means that in the class of the universe, every human being is called a homo sapien. That is our being. And so we are all called human beings. But as human beings, you are different from me. My mother is different from me. My wife is different from me. My father in the Lord is different from me. You are different from me. But when we are talking about the class we belong to, we are all human beings. So when we talk about the Trinity, we are talking about the God who is one being. But this God is three persons. And so that in three persons, the Father has his role to play, the Son has his role to play, and the Spirit has his role to play. The Father is the one who dwells in light, the one who hates sin, the one to whom all obedience, he he is the Father of all. In fact, when we read the Bible, it says that God wants to save, the, the, the desire of the Father is to save everybody. When we read John 3, 16, it is so clear, for God so loves the world. The love of the Father is the love for the world. The labors of the Father is the labors for the salvation of the world. Everything that the father is thinking about, whatever the father wants to achieve, he is always thinking about the universe, the world. But Jesus is not interested about the world. Now when I say this, some people will say that, what do you mean? Because Jesus died to save the world. No, Jesus died to satisfy the will of the father. The desire of the Father was the salvation of the world. And so for that price to be paid, it had to be by the Son. And so when Jesus walked the earth, he said that, I have come to do the will of my Father. Jesus never said, I have come to die for the world because I love it. He came to do the will of the Father. Now Jesus has paid the price and he has been glorified. So now 
the, you see, achieving the will of the Father came with benefits. What was the benefit? In the book of Daniel chapter 7, he said, And I saw one like the likeness of the Son of Man who came with the clouds. And when he came, to him was given all the kingdoms of the world. So he knew that by becoming the Son and paying the price and satisfying the will of the Father, what will be delivered to him was the kingdoms of the world. And so when we read the book of Colossians, he says that, Oh, he has become the head of all principalities and powers. All things has been delivered to him. In fact, when he was talking to his disciples in the gospel of John, he told them that the father has given me all things. So he paid the price to receive all things to himself. But now what Jesus is looking for is not the world. What Jesus is looking for is what we call the body of Christ. And because he is looking for a body for himself, his focus is not the world. And that is why he tells those who he has redeemed that come out from the midst of them. Become separate from them. Because what I am building cannot look like the world. My love for my body cannot look like the love of the father for the world. Because I am looking for something that will fit me as a head. Jesus is looking for his body. And all the labors of Christ from the day he received the kingdom till now is about his body and not the world. So what has Jesus become? Jesus has become then the cause or the way to the source. The only legal gateway, the only permissible gateway to receive all that the Father wills to deliver to the world. And what is the work of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that nobody knows what dwells in man. Save the Spirit in the man. So nobody knows that which is in God. Save his Spirit. So it is the, it is the work of the Spirit to bring us to that place where we know the, the will of the Father. And we know the desire of Jesus. So Jesus tells us that when the Spirit comes, he will take that which is of mine. And he will deliver it to you. It is the spirit that brings us up. It is the spirit that guides us in the journey. It is the, it is the spirit that becomes the saint of the deer. You see, when a deer is thirsty, he can smell water five miles away. So, when we become redeemed, what God is saying is that go on a journey with the Holy Spirit. And as you go on a journey with the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit will do is that He will unveil the Father to you. And He will unveil the Son to you. Then, your knowledge of Him will bring you that liberty and freedom that you desire. We are living in a day and age that a lot of people don't know much about God, even though we claim to know God. It is a sad reality. So we are called to discover 
the knowledge of God. You see, when we read Hosea, and when, when we talk about this knowledge, there are about four types of knowledge that the Bible describes. We have the knowledge that is scientific, called gnosis. We have the knowledge that comes by revelation. We have the knowledge that comes by precise and accurate revelation. And we have that knowledge that brings awareness. And today, I want to spend the next few, the next 15 minutes or so to talk to you about the third knowledge which is called epignosis. The accurate knowledge of God. The full and precise knowledge of God. My beloved is the most beautiful among thousands and thousands. My beloved is the most beautiful among about epignosis, the accurate knowledge of God in a very interesting way. Epignosis is used three times in the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, we are told that the heathen have refused to hold on to the knowledge of God. And you will realize that all the time that he's talking about sin and the law, he's pointing to us that knowledge of God, God the Father, is what is keeping men in sin. And so when we look at Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, it says that because you have rejected the accurate knowledge I will reject you as priests. In the book of Colossians, he uses this knowledge. He says that when we read Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, he says that, that we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. 
in verse 10, he says that, that we will increase in the knowledge of God. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says that, that he prays that we will come to the full understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God. Then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, he tells us to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, he says that, that God will grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, he says that he is urging us to build up the church of God in one faith according to the knowledge of the Son of God. In Philemon chapter 6, he says that, that we will have knowledge in every good thing in Christ. So, when I summarize these letters that the Apostle Paul is writing, the book of Romans, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians, the first thing he tells us to have accurate knowledge. He said that we must have the epignosis, the accurate, the full knowledge of God. One, we must have it regarding God the Father. That we should have epignosis concerning God. Then he says, two, we should have epignosis or accurate knowledge concerning God's will. Then three, he tells us that we must have accurate knowledge concerning the mystery of God. Then that fourth one, he says that we should have accurate knowledge concerning the Son of God. Then the fifth one, he says that we should have accurate knowledge concerning every good thing that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the mystery of God's will is? Do you know what the mystery of God is? Do you know who the Son of God is? Are you aware of every good thing that is in Him? Now, when we continue to read on further, when we come to his writing to his son, Timothy, he tells him that, have knowledge of the truth. Have knowledge of the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he says that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 says that, God will grant repentance to those who come to the knowledge of truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7, he says that false teachers will ever learn. They will always come out with new theories. But they will never come to the knowledge of truth. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26, he says that God will not forgive any willful sin after we have come to the knowledge of truth. So here we see the apostle also telling us that 
we should be diligent in what he calls accurate knowledge in truth. Now, this word truth is very interesting. The word truth is the word aletheia. And what it means is that it is something that is true in any matter under consideration. So the knowledge of the truth means that when you say that this is about God, when you consider it under any topic, when you consider it under any circumstance, when you consider it under any experience, it should be true. Whether you test it in the waters, whether you test it in the heavens, that word should be true at all times. Any truth we have that varies with time, with experience, it is not accurate truth. a truth that is true no matter what and so you realize that in the days of of Nebuchadnezzar the king the bible says that three young men were brought before the king they were asked to bow before a statue and they say that king we don't we don't mean to disrespect you concerning this issue but you see we have come to know a truth We have had precise and accurate knowledge about who God is. This thing that you have raised, it is not God. And according to what we have come to believe, we cannot bow to anything that is not God. And we also know something about this God we have come to believe. He saves. He is able to save. He is able to deliver. He is able to do Things beyond the imagination of man. And so King, know that we will not bow. And if it pleases you to even kill us, we want you to know that he will save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't save us from this fire, this truth that we know, it won't change. If we die in this fire, if we die in this fire, it is not because God was not able to save. 
because God is able to save. And so the Bible says that they heated, they opened seven times water. And they pushed them in. And all of a sudden they see the fourth man. And he said, who is this in white apparel, like the son of man that I see in the fire? He said, not three men we put in the fire. You see, it is the same concerning Daniel. The Bible says that, and, and, and the same edict was passed in a different, subtle, but cunning way in the days of Daniel. When they wanted to unseat him as the king's favorite. In the days of Darius, he says that king raised a statue and make a declaration. Thirty days, let no one bow to any other statue but the statue of yourself. Let nobody make any prayer to any god but to the statue of you, King Darius. The Bible says that Daniel went into his room, opened the windows like he always does, looking towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day like he does. What was the difference? He had come to a place where he had precise and accurate knowledge of God. He will not bow to anything that is not God. And he has this knowledge because he he went on a discovery of the Father. He went in search of the scripture. He perused scriptures. He wanted to know the God of his fathers. You see, you and I, we talk about a God that we don't know. When I ask you what is the history of Christianity, many of us are ignorant about the history of Christianity. So you don't even know the God to whom you are being preached to. And so the Bible says that Jesus meets the Samaritan woman and he says that our fathers worship at this world. But you people in Jerusalem, you say that we are doing the wrong thing. He said that they are right. Salvation is of the Jews. As for you, Samaritan, you don't know what you are worshipping. Do you know who you are worshipping? Do you have accurate and precise knowledge about who you are worshipping? You see, that is why sometimes as young people, when the Bible says that keep yourself till marriage, you say that I can't. I am burning with fire. When God says, even though you have been born into poverty and you have given your life to Christ and says that, follow me and I will bring you into good pastures. He said, I know. I know what is right for me. I will make my own way. Going after the philosophies of men. And so we are living in the day where the philosophy of the earth has crept into the church. We come to the church and they tell us lies like, Time is money. The pastor is preaching and he says that time is money. Where in the Bible did he ever say that time is money to God? When he has a plan that is supposed to be unfolded over time. Time is not money to God. Time is about conformity to the image of the Son of God. So the Bible said that redeeming the times because the days are evil. Do you know how to redeem your time? The only way you can redeem your time is for you to grow up. We are Christians. We are powerless. We are philosophers. We are storytellers in church. 
many of us right now, if we wake up and we see a doll with something red tied around its neck hanging on your door, what will you do? I remember when my wife and I first moved to a a place we rented and we woke up in the morning and there was fresh air right in front of our door. It wasn't our egg. We knew it wasn't our egg. And the egg was placed so strategically that if you open the door and you are not looking down, the first step you will take is measured to your steps. Where did the egg come from? I was sleeping and she came to wake me up. I went yes of Konakofa. She will not even touch it. And it is like that with many of us. We are afraid of witches. We are afraid of demons. We cannot believe the promises of God. We can't hold on to the promises of God. We are living in a world where we are encouraged as young people to make your own way. How can you make your own way when you don't know which way you have been called to? When he has said that I am your, your, the, the, your you, are, you are my workmanship. And, and I am the one who has made a path for you to walk in. So how can you walk in a path to whom we don't know? When he says I am the way. How can you walk in a way that you don't know? We have become liars in church. And so Satan is glorified in church. We are living in a day and a time where Christians are afraid of the devil than God. If your pastor says that don't come, don't, don't go to the beach, you will go. But if a malam or a fetish priest will go and make an announcement, anybody who goes to the beach will be taken by the sea. You see that people will not go. Do you know why? Because we are not modeling. We are not discovering God according to knowledge. So you are a Christian and and somebody comes from another religion and he presents his or her God to you. And you don't even know how to defend your faith. And at the end of the day, you say, hey, I am poor. How can God be the father and the son? It is not true. It is time for the church to discover accurate knowledge. Because accurate knowledge, it says that, and the righteous shall be delivered by knowledge. Epignosis. Accurate knowledge. See, whatever you are going through is because you don't have the knowledge that can unlock that key. There is nothing too hard for God. It is a true statement. It is an accurate statement. It is a statement that is unchangeable in any situation. About five weeks ago, I was talking to the Holy Spirit and I was saying that, Lord, every, 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 everybody I have loved and I am following in the body of Christ, 
especially those in North America. They die of strange diseases. And these are people I consider to be powerful. But how can your how can the word say that? When you read the book of Deuteronomy, you say that, and there will be no disease found among your dwelling. Your water shall be blessed. Your food shall be blessed. Yet, we are always encumbered by diseases. Dying of diseases. Look at how anointed the, the man of God, Elisha, was. But he died of a disease. And many years after he died, his bones could still bring dead people to life. So it means that he dying of a disease was not because God was weak or God was not able to save or God was not able to deliver. But it was because he decided not to apply himself to discover the truth that would set him free in that area where he had his challenge. There is always a knowledge that will bring us into liberty and freedom. People of God, I want you to hear what God is saying to you. Discover me. You know, when, whenever I talk about this and think about this, I'm always reminded of what the Apostle Paul writes. He says that, oh, the love of God, the depth of God. It, it, it is that description. Oh, you see, he begins to talk about God in the book of Romans and how sin is and how God is resolving the issue of sin and how it is by grace and not by works. Then all of a sudden it hits him. Oh, the wisdom of God. How unsearchable. God is deep. In the book of Ephesians, he said that we might know how, how wide the breadth, the length, the depth of God. How much of God do you know? When we read the book of uh, Hebrews, he says that men who conquered kingdoms, subdued kingdoms, quenched fires. How many fires have you been able to quench in your life in the name of Jesus? Somebody says Jesus and everybody falls down under the power of God. Another person says Jesus. And for the next six hours, he's soaking in sweat. What is the difference? It's the precise knowledge of God. He has called us to become kings and priests. We are supposed to rule in the earth. So Jesus is called in the book of Revelations, the king of kings. And the true Lord of all the lords of the earth. In Revelation 19. In Revelation chapter 1, he identifies himself as the king of kings. If he is the king among kings, who are the kings? Is he referring to Otunfo? King Charles? No. He's talking about us. Who have been called to look like him. To reign on the earth is the charge. But can you discover your scepter to reign? We are praying.
What do you know about God? church looking for a baby and she had no womb because her womb had been removed so according to gnosis which is scientific and man-made knowledge it was impossible for her man of god to ever conceive because you need a womb to hold a baby But we know a God who works miracles. We know a God who works wonders. There is a knowledge. There is a track record of his history. Of how he has been performing wonders over time. And after prayer in the name of Jesus. A woman that had no womb. Conceived twins. You see, God loves to make a statement. And those who will discover him in its most accurate sense will discover that our God is truly powerful. That our God is truly awesome. And when it was time for delivery, what did they discover was that there was a chamber that was connected straight from the oesophagus holding the baby. So as the woman fed, she fed her baby. There was, there was, there was no uterus. There was no placenta. <laughs> but there was a sac. Yes. That is how awesome our God is. 
That is how powerful our God is. You see, to come to a precise knowledge, you have to investigate. What has he done over time? Habakkuk says that I have heard of your fame from time past. I have heard of your fame. It means that he has read the he has read the writings of the prophets. He has read the letters, the poems, the laws. And he had discovered the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. He said that by a strong and a mighty hand, I will bring you out. And he saw what God did in Egypt. He saw what God did for Joseph. And so when he says that, in my days, do it once again. He is not, he is not wishing. He, 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 it has been confirmed in every age. It has been confirmed in every era. That from then till now, he is still doing wonders. What do you know about your God? What is your need? What is your desire? What is your expectation? If you will go on a journey to discover this God, you will know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because he makes me to lie down in pastures that are green and lush, fertile, fruitful. can never be disadvantaged in life it's not a statement of a wish it is a statement that must be made in precise and accurate knowledge by the revelation of the spirit I don't know what your expectations are for your life but I'm here to announce to you that God has an expectation for you and that expectation is that you will reign as a king that you will become his temple holy and sacred that you will manifest who he is in the earth I refuse to be afraid of witches he says that among all the prophets that has ever lived John the Baptist is the greatest and then he speaks a mystery and says, but the least in the kingdom is greater than all of them. Even if you are the least in the kingdom, you are bigger than John the Baptist. You are bigger than Elijah. You are bigger than Elisha. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that accurate, accurate and precise knowledge yours? Are you aware? Are you convinced? Is that truth true for you in any circumstance, in every situation, no matter the conditions of your life? Is that truth the reality of your life? That is what we are fighting for. We don't want to become young people who are on fire for God and in the next 20 years, you say, oh, we have done that before. We used to do, I used to pray 10 hours a day. Did you see me at Polly Park? Nah. 
if I am ascending, my ascension must not stop till I stand before him. I don't want to live an ordinary life and so I will seek God with all that I am. David says in Psalm 42, when shall I appear before God? The apostle John knew how to appear before God. He said that on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. He had accurate, you see the difference between us and the witches is that they know their stuff. Every witch, every wizard, every sorcerer, every enchanter knows exactly what to do that 12 a.m. every day they can get out of their body and go wherever they want to go. Can you go anywhere? You sleep and you die. And when you wake up, you say, it is the mercies of God. (laughs) What are you thankful for? I am thankful that I am alive. Yes, it's a privilege. But there is a knowledge that will guarantee that you wake up every day. There is a knowledge. There is a knowledge. They know how to spoil your life. They know exactly what to say. They know what incantations to speak. They know which demons to invoke. To, to frustrate the grace of God in your life. But you and I, we don't even know what prayer to pray to bring our deliverance and our freedom. We have no knowledge of God. We have no knowledge of the Most High. Oh. I am praying that a generation will arise that are not only zealous for God because zeal will burn out. Passion will burn out. You know, one day, I remember after we finished the Conquerces conference, and uh, people were sending me a message. Hey, the message was deep. The message was deep. And the Holy Spirit said that, never let it get into your head that you are deep. Because your fathers and your mothers, who don't know Greek or Hebrew, they still wake up 4 a.m. doing Bible devotion. They still wake up 3 a.m. every day. For the past 30 years, 40 years, praying to God, crying for their children. You can know Greek, you can know Hebrew. But if you don't know that knowledge, that will anchor you in your faith. So that you will be doing what you are doing now, 50 years from now, 60 years from now, you should not be excited that you are a Christian. And we can come and stand here and we can open Greek and say, we are not deep to what we are reading. Is true in our life. That is the only way we can prove that we are deep. That we can raise the dead. That we can heal the sick. That we can open the eyes of the blind. That church service will not be church service when you come and they say that, let's believe God for a miracle. Whoever was brought to Jesus and Jesus said, let us believe the Father for a miracle. The Bible says that how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power that wheresoever he went, he did good. He lit all that were sick, casting out devils. If we cannot deal with class one demons, how can you find a demon that is, that is reigning in your community? 
everywhere Jesus went, people were thronging him. We, we, we organize church programs. People don't come because there is nothing to get out of it. Because there are men with needs. People are suffering. And Jesus came to alleviate sufferings. Whose suffering have you alleviated with the knowledge you have in Jesus? Who has your prayer delivered? Who has your pronouncement healed? Who? And say we say we are deep. Greek and Hebrew. But when it comes to Yemfa Gruntu Foma, I've seen I've seen men of God that have served God for 20 years, 30 years, and when somebody is demon possessed and they bring it to them and say that I am not into the deliverance ministry. <laughs> but who is into the deliverance ministry? Did the charge to cast out demons given to people who were giving deliverance ministry, man of God? Prayer, prayer team for it is a sad reality. We don't want to grow to become young Christians like that. We want to grow to become Christians that can prove God over and over again. I want you to lift your voice and begin to pray. And ask God for a touch that between tomorrow, now, and Friday, that something in your life will change. Lift your voice and pray. Spirit, take me on a journey to discover you. I want to know you like Jesus knew you. Jesus was so confident about what he could do. I want to live my life like that. Lift your voice and pray. God bless you for listening. Maranatha, the Lord comes.